Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Last time I was up here, I asked about the hat thing to a couple people, and my wife said no. This time she said yes, because it is part of who I am. I am a, a truck driver. I prefer the term freight relocator specialist because it makes me seem more educated. <laughs> um, as most of you are aware, and maybe some of you who don't know us, we had a house fire seven weeks ago. And uh, so it's been amazing to live life by living life. And a lot of times I think people don't live life to their fullest because they always want to have that perfectness that Pastor Steve was just talking about, the perfect speaker, the perfect band. And uh, I think if we just approach life relying on God, it makes all the difference in the world. And so we are extremely blessed to be a part of this family and uh, the prayers, the help and support that you've given us and are continuing to. Uh, we are still waiting to move into our house. We do have one picked out. We're just not there yet hopefully Friday. So uh, on that note, I will begin what I've been studying and reading about. And uh, I will start with a little bit of uh, humor just to, I don't know if it's to calm me down or to calm you guys down, but uh, the preacher's five-year-old daughter noted that her father always paused and bowed his head before starting his sermon. So one day she asked him, why? Well, honey, he began, proud that his daughter was so observant of his messages. I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. How come he doesn't do it? Lord, I just ask that you would help me to preach a good sermon, that uh, the words that would come would be uh, specifically for people here to be encouraged, lifted up, and to trust you more. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I have been doing a lot of uh, reading and studying. I haven't been doing so much writing, and that's partially because... Uh, I'm living life at the speed of life, had a fire, uh, started getting more miles, as we say, in, in trucking, and and also being displaced and living in a motel, now living at my dad's. I just don't have that spot to sit down and write. I just got my books out of the house uh, last week, so I'm sitting there using them to uh, get background information, and all I can smell is the house fire. And so it's been, it's been a difficult process, but I am confident that God, who so oftentimes delivered his people Israel through different people, will help me. So that's uh, where we're actually going to be going today, is uh, to talk about a man named David. And uh, David is first mentioned in the book of Ruth in the fourth chapter. 
have to wear these glasses here. Starting in verse 17, it's the first time David is ever mentioned in the Bible. And it says, And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, The son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. As we've been journeying through the Bible, we should be familiar with Ruth, because it was talked about a few weeks ago. And I, we had our small group, and I kind of clued in. The book of Ruth was not just about uh, Naomi and, and uh, Ruth and whatnot. It was. But it was also a snapshot of the life they were living during the time of the judges. And it's the prequel to when Israel wanted a king. So as Boaz and Ruth were kind of two separate people doing their own separate things, ended up getting together by God's providence. It was just everyday life. And that's how we need to live. It's just doing the things we know to do and letting God do the rest. So David is first mentioned here, and he is not mentioned for another 16 chapters. So throughout this time, life is going on. Israel has chosen a king, Saul. And as Andy said last week, he was an everyman. He was the guy you did want to hire. He was the guy who would get things done, just like Andy said. But he also had a big ego. He was full of himself. This week, I'm going to introduce you to David, a God-man. And we're going to talk, I know this is about David and Goliath, but uh, to build a little bit of background to where David, how David got to where he had the confidence, not in his own ability, but in the ability God gave him to face the giant Goliath. And, and so we start in 1 Samuel 16. Actually, if I, I'm just going to back up a little bit and uh, in the previous chapter the last sentence says and the Lord reject, or regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel and in chapter 1 or 16 verse 1 says the Lord said to Samuel how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel so he got rejected because he was full of himself and expected because he was king to be treated a certain way and this bothered Samuel I, I expect because Samuel was the one who was nurturing him and guiding him and kind of disappointed probably that hey this this king is not listening to what I have to say which is what God is saying through me nevertheless Samuel's quite upset about that and understandably so. It's, it's hard to build into somebody's life and see them walking away from what you're trying to help them with. So he says, Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go... If Saul hears it, he will kill me. 
Because Saul rejected God, Saul was also rejecting Samuel. And Samuel was scared for his life. He was afraid that if Saul heard that he was going to offer sacrifice somewhere where he didn't want him to go, just the way life goes when you have a king that is, uh, you know, wanting to make himself look important rather than God. Anyway, we get, we get to Bethlehem. God gives Samuel an excuse. He says, take a heifer, go and say you're offering sacrifices. So it's not that Samuel was lying to Saul, but he had a reason he could tell Saul if Saul did confront him. We've already read that Obed, Boaz fathered Obed, I just messed that one up. Uh, Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. So we're going now to Boaz's grandson, Jesse, uh, which is in Bethlehem. And uh, Samuel is going there to anoint a new king, one who... uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'll just keep reading. Sorry. Uh, he gets to Bethlehem. The people are like afraid because they know he's on the outs with Saul. And so they ask him, does he come peaceably? And he says, yes, I do. And uh, he asks for Jesse to come and take part of the sacrifice. And, he, and, in, and in verse uh, 5, he says, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they had come, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his structure, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's key to the who David is. His inward appearance is greater than his outward appearance. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. This is the second oldest. And neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his er, Seven of his sons passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So it is estimated that David was about 15 years old at this time, maybe a little bit younger. And um, he wasn't considered important enough because of his age, I would assume. He was considered important enough to be trusted to keep sheep, which is interesting. Um, I mean, that's how uh, people made money in those days, was with sheep and cattle, and not like they went and worked in a factory. Nonetheless, uh, David was uh, trusted to do that job. That's a big job. Uh, It's not like today where we have fences and stuff. He would have to lead the sheep to green pastures. He would lead them to water. 
lay them down at night. He would protect them. It was not an eight-hour job, punch in, punch out. So it was a great responsibility. So here we're already seeing one of David's uh, character, parts of his character, which is his trustworthiness. David was trustworthy. So Samuel is kind of a little annoyed, I would say, because he said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. In other words, I don't care how far away he is. I came here for a reason, and I'm going to fulfill that reason. Go get him. And if we have to stay here till the sheep come home, we will. Instead <clears throat> of cows, I guess. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel left. So, here's some characteristics of David. We're just being introduced to him other than hearing about uh, Boaz being his great-granddad. He was ruddy. According to the Nelson Cage Dictionary, ruddy is reddish or having a glow. Um, I want you to think of somebody you know. Maybe they don't have red hair. Like a lot of people think that means red hair. I think it just means it had a tinge of red to it maybe. But having a glow. Somebody that you know who may have a glow that you want to be around. They're just upbeat. They're positive. Uh, just like being around him. That, that's kind of what uh, ruddy means. I find it interesting that it talks about his eyes. I haven't really found a whole lot of information out about why that was mentioned so much other than maybe the, the phrase apple of my eye. Maybe that has something to do with his beautiful eyes. But it's, it's just interesting that it's in there. And uh, if somebody has done some study on that, I would actually like to know because I couldn't find very much out about that phrase. And it also says he was handsome. So, fine looking young fella. And he obeyed his father because he came as soon as he was called. And in the midst of David's father and brothers, Samuel anointed him. And it is not clear whether they knew why David was anointed at that time. Possibly uh, it was just not said. It's not indicated in the Bible whether it was uh, specific to being anointed king or if he was just anointing him because God told him to. However, from that moment forward, as the Spirit rushed upon David, and last week we heard about the Spirit rushing upon Saul, That's when David's life began to change dramatically. The spirit departed from Saul, and his uh, he was rejected as king. And it kind of follows this timeline, possibly, where when the spirit left Saul with the kingly anointing and the spirit rushed upon David 
with the the kingly anointing is is uh, when that may have started. Because as we we follow down through here, and, and David enters into Saul's service, it says the spirit of the in verse fourteen it says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, "Behold, a harmful spirit of God is tormenting you." Um, that's just how they viewed things, that it, it was from God. Like, it, you know, they, they weren't thinking, oh, it has something to do with how you were acting, which in a way it was how Saul acted is why he lost that anointing. So Saul's character was quite flawed. It was all about him. It's all about me. I want to look good. If I wanted to look good, I probably would have wore a three-piece suit today. But it got burnt in the fire. <laughs> Speaking of fires, last time I spoke, uh, we had a fire drill. And um, so this time, if we have a, f uh, a fire alarm, it won't be a drill because I'm not notified about it. But please, as last time, exit the building slowly and in line and it was just, you know, <laughs> yeah, enough about fires. Uh, so uh, his servant said, uh, we, we uh, are going to seek out a man and we found one who is skillful in playing the lyre and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play, you will be well. Uh, there's a lot to be said here about uh, music. Music calms the savage soul, as they say. It can lift you up. Music can bring memories. Um, I just throw one out there, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Everybody remembers the time when they probably first heard that song. And music ha is very powerful in, in our emotional well-being. So, and that is why they wanted somebody who could play music. But they wanted somebody who could play music well. And David could play it very well. And when he would play, it would calm Saul down. Um, as an example, when I'm driving down the road, I have a playlist I use called Tulane Highway Rock. And it's just a bunch of road driving music. When I'm studying the word, I usually put on a playlist that I guess called Bible Study and Prayer, and it's piano music, and it helps me focus. It's old hymns and new songs done on piano, and that's music is a very powerful thing. So, the son of Jesse, in verse 18, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war. Prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And the most important part, and the Lord is with him. So this is the background that I would like to get into about David's character. He was a man of valor. According to the definition.net, a man of valor is a man who has strength of mind in regard to danger. We will see this as David 
prepares to fight Goliath and he's talking to Saul and he talks about the bear and the lion. And he had presence of mind not to be afraid because he knew the Lord was with him. Uh, says he was a, a man of war. Uh, really couldn't find that phrase. War would always talk about between two, in the dictionaries would talk about uh, countries versus countries or, or counties versus counties. Or if I typed in the phrase war, man of war, it always brought up a Spanish galleon. So this is my definition. A man of war is a man of action and ability to see the struggle and confront it. Now, I don't know if that's a good definition or not, but it is my definition. I like it, and I think it does describe David very well, that he, that he was a man of action and ability. And we see that when he goes to fight Goliath. Um, a man of prudent words. He would plan ahead of time what he was going to say. He just didn't say the first thing that popped into his mind. And he, in other words, he had good judgment. These are character traits that we see in David, who is a God-man. And these are character traits that, as we're living our life, if we can, I don't know if the right word would be, strive to achieve these things, would be a, a good benefit compared to saying, I can do it. I'm the man. I'm the one. I'm Saul. I'm, 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 I'm just, there's no one better than me. Well, that's not true. So, and then we get to... Um, a man of good presence. And this I found interesting in describing his character. Uh, I found this on um, uh, the internet, 10 Qualities of People with Amazing Presence by John Horn. So uh, people with good presence impress people by their appearance and their manner. The ten things, be prepared. Know your purpose. David knew his purpose. His purpose was to serve God, to glorify God in, in all that he did. Be authentic. To be himself. He, he was good at music, and he was good at protecting things that he loved, i.e. the sheep, his family, the name of God. To be interested. Listen more than you speak. A lot of times as David was in Saul's service, he probably didn't do a whole lot of talking, but he did do a lot of observation and did what was asked of him. Like if Saul was having one of his moments, hey, go get your lyre, play for the king, and he'll calm down, and David would do it. Um, to be to uh, be positive, uh, David is a positive guy. Like I say, he was ruddy. He had a glow about him. 
He was the type of person you just wanted to be around. Uh, that, uh, like I say, we all have somebody that we know that we just want to be around. Uh, for me, one example, Steve is that guy. I like being around Steve. He just encourages me to be around him. And, uh, you know, like going through this course, preaching 201, uh, that's what it is. The, the guys in the course are like that. They, I just want to be around them. We're going to get together and, and, and debrief about how I do. And I can't wait. It's, it's, uh, it's a way for me to learn and be with men of like mind. Uh, being confident. When you're confident, that gives you a good presence. Um, to come up here, some people can come up here and just lay it right out in the line. I need notes. <laughs> I have to look at notes. But I'm still confident that God can use me. Uh, to be vulnerable, transparent. I guess that's what I just did. So my example came before. <laughs> to be empathetic. I mean, you know, uh, investing in others' potential. David was like that later in life especially because he, with his mighty men of valor. I'm not going to get into that because that is coming in the future. I'm just going to highlight where he got to, how he got to where he is today in the fight with Goliath. To be adaptable, the ability to pivot a different direction yet achieving original goals. And we'll see that when David goes to fight Goliath and Saul says, here's my armor, put it on. And you have to understand that it, 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 to be offered the king's armor is pretty significant because it's the best of the best. It, it's, it's like the difference between a Chevette and a Camaro. <laughs> you know, uh, the Camaro will get, or the Chevette will get the job done, but the Camaro really makes you look good doing it. David adapted, saying, I haven't tried this. I think I'll use what I know. And he picked up five stones and used his sling. Uh, this word here, I never heard of it till I looked it up or did this listen. Be edutaining. To educate through entertainment and make learning fun. I would say David fit that profile um, in, in, in life. Like, the, just to, he, he danced before the Lord. He was unashamed. People can be inspired through others who aren't ashamed to do what God has called them to do. And be a storyteller. And this, it says, is an indispensable quality of having a good presence. When David was talking to King Saul, and Saul was like, you know, David, you're kind of young to do what I'm asking you to do. And David says, you know, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, delivered me from the paw of the bear. What's this on circumcised Philistine? 
you know, I, uh, actually, I'm going to use my illustration right now. I may need a hand with this. This, uh, a lion and a bear are quite large animals. Let's see. If I can do this without this bending. I got this tape for free. And it's 25 feet long, and it has what's called a 13-foot standing, which means it won't bend. So that's why I want to... Now, if I can get it back up. So I, I've seen some bears around here. They're pretty good size. But uh, some grizzlies and stuff can get 10, 12 feet in length. David, it said, or Goliath was nine and a half feet tall at the minimum, possibly as tall as 11 feet. That's nine and a half feet. So Saul was scared of Goliath. The, the Israel army was scared of Goliath. And this young fellow, between the ages of 15 and 21, they figure, comes up and says, why? The Lord can deliver him into our hands. What is he? He's just another, he's no, you know, the bear and the lion are scarier than he is. I mean, he's defying our God. Come on, people. That's a pretty tall fella. Anyway, I'm kind of glad I got that for free. Yeah, let's see if I can get it back in. I never, ever thought I'd use a tape measure for an illustration, but just going with David's character, he's like, I know... I know what I'm doing because I know what my God can do. So he was a good storyteller because obviously using that story, he convinced Saul that he could do the job. So uh, that is kind of the backstory to David's character. Uh, it was a good character, I would, in my opinion, it was a very good character because he loved God and he expressed that through the way he lived, through faith, and, and, and he made it into the, to the hall of faith, his name in, in Hebrews 11, he made it into the hall of faith. Uh, I don't need to really go into detail on that. I'm quite sure the majority of us know what the Hall of Faith is in Hebrews 11, and if your name's in there, it's a pretty, pretty big deal. It's kind of like, you know, getting inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame of Rock and Roll or the Hall of Fame of Hockey. It's, if your name's there, it's for a reason. So, this is where David's at in his character, in his attitude, and he's He's obedient to his father because uh, as the uh, Israelites and the Philistines are facing off against each other in the valley of Soko, you got Philistines here, Israelites here in the valley. Goliath would come out twice a day to challenge them. Twice a day, the Israelites would be Afraid, and uh, you know, go to bed that night and talk about, well, you know, who's going to be the one to challenge to meet his challenge, you know. Uh, 
you know, a lot of big talk, but no action. So that leads us into 17. And uh, talking about Goliath, in verse 4, it says, There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, nine and a half feet at the minimum, as I just illustrated. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. Oh, excuse me. Um, they figured the coat of mail weighed between 167 and 228 pounds, I think. I can't remember where I read that, but I know it was in, in, in that area. He, he, uh, the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels. Bronze armor on his legs. A javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Um, a weaver's beam would be about yay big around. About seven inches. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is, is between 16 and 21 pounds as well. Um, so we're talking an impressive warrior. A man that, uh, if you saw on the street, you'd probably want to cross the other side unless, unless you knew he was a, a good guy. But uh, in this case, he definitely wasn't. And in today's world, we could, could liken that to um, something like the F-18 fighter jet. It was an all-encompassing piece of equipment to fight a war. Well, in that day, Goliath would be their F-18. Look at it. He's coming your way. And David is sent by his father to go find out why this is going on so long and why there hasn't been word from his oldest three sons. And uh, this is what he's walking into. Right about the time Goliath is coming out, he, he hears him say to the armies of the Israelites, in verse 8, it says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And this was common practice. Do a one-on-one -on -one battle. And whoever won that one-on-one -on -one was the winning side, and the other side would obviously be the losing side, and that's, you know, would save a lot of uh, lives that way. In some ways, it was quite practical. You didn't have whole groups of people being slaughtered. Uh, and, and that's uh, what he did. And, 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 and I think... I may be being presumptuous here, but Goliath wanted to fight Saul. Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody in Israel, which means he was probably seven, seven and a half feet tall himself. And this is the guy Goliath wanted to fight because Saul had this reputation of being a good warrior. But since the Spirit of God left him, he was, he was uh, afraid of Goliath just as much as the rest of the people. So, as I said, David's father sent him to uh, 
take some stuff to his brothers, inquire of them, take a few gifts to to their his brothers' commanders. You know, like butter them up. They'll treat my kids better. Maybe they'll give them better tan or something. I, I don't know if that's the actual reason, but yeah, sounds good. If I was a dad, I'd you know, hey, can you look after my kid? So David, in in verse twenty three, says he left thing he left he left things in charge of the keeper, or uh, my apologies. Uh, verse twenty. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp and as the hosts were going out to battle, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with him, Goliath comes out, says what he says, and David heard him. And verse 24 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. There was not one person in the whole Israeli army that wasn't afraid. That's what makes this story so interesting, is David's character begins to really shine through. What we talked about, good presence, he was prudent in his speech, he thought things through, and he also knew what he had experienced would help him in this battle as well. So David asked, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine takes away the repose of from Israel? Verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of not Saul, not Israel, but the living God? You catch that? When, when, when something is coming up against you, it's not necessarily your fault that you're in that situation. You may be experiencing rough time because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you've placed him in prominence in your life above the way the world tells us we should think. So, Goliath thought he was challenging Saul and Israel, but in all reality, he was actually challenging God, the creator of the universe. And David recognized that. So uh, Eliab, the oldest brother who God rejected, don't look on the outside or at his height. Uh, we can kind of see maybe here why in verse 28 God rejected him. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? People say things when they're angry that just don't make sense. Eliab should know better than anybody because he's the oldest brother, and it's his inheritance how many sheep were probably out in the field in the wilderness. So he was angry because, you know, Here's his little brother button in, and he doesn't, you know, he's not a warrior. He's a, he's a, he's a sheep keeper. 
Hmm. Wonder why he's here. He just wants to get a piece of the action. I don't know. He's asking all these questions. So we see why God rejected him. Because of his heart. Which is interesting. Because Eliab then goes on to say, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Isn't it interesting? Samuel looked on the outside and was wrong. Eliab thought he was looking at David's heart, the inside, and he was wrong. Only God knows our hearts. I am going to speed this up. Because this part of the story, most of us, and I've been alluding to it as I spoke, know the story of David and Goliath. There are a few things I would like to highlight, though, because, uh, you know, flannel graph, if you're old enough to remember Sunday school, had flannel graph. You know, that little guy here, big guy here, kind of going like this. Hollywood, the, the original David and Goliath movie, shows David stumbling as he's going along and the giant's coming towards him. But the Bible doesn't say that David stumbled. David had quite a bit of confidence. And after his little discussion with Saul, he walks out to meet Goliath. And Goliath goes, what are they sending me, a dog fight? I'm going to cut you up and serve your carcass to the birds of the air. Which is a very great insult, especially to Hebrews at that time, because... Not being buried was uh, considered very unclean. Not a good way to die. But David comes out, and as he's coming, he probably just reaches down and scoops up those five stones, puts one in the sling, and it says, Goliath was walking towards him and stopped. Goliath also had an armor bearer, which would have had a full piece of armor to protect him. And David's came and said to him, uh, pardon me for not having it right here, <clears throat> and David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on the ground. But prior to that, uh, David said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm not coming to you as David. I'm not coming to you as a representative of Saul. I'm not coming to you as a representative of Israel. I'm coming as a representative of the King of Kings. The God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of those things this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly, and he's referring to both sides, but particularly probably to the Israelites' army behind him, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. It's interesting that uh, 
David was the one doing the work, but he gave credit to the whole army. He said, our hand. It is uh, interesting that after David slew Goliath, the change that happened to the rest of the army, including Saul. Um, one person believing in God can make a difference. Michael Griffiths from the Bible Believer's Bible Commentary says it this way, both Jonathan and David, and it's referring to Jonathan, 1 Samuel 14, when he went out and fought against the Philistines, initiated action on a small front just where they were. But what they did led to great victories. There is a need for us alike to take the field locally. We cannot hope to take on the whole of the enemy force, but we do not have to do so. There is a work for Jesus ready at your front. Front referring to where the battle begins. We are called to be bold and take the initiative where we are. God will take care of the rest when, as a result of our action, the battle spreads along the whole front or along our fellow Christians. So I want to inspire you to rise up to the challenge of being that person who inspires somebody else to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ. There's a lot in there, and when I, when we were asked what we'd like to preach on, I said David and Goliath. I mean, who doesn't like David and Goliath? I mean, it, it's traditionally a story of little dog beats big dog. And I, I've heard a lot spoke on it. I've read a lot about David and Goliath. And Steve said to me, after everybody picked it, He's like, oh, that's the hard one. <laughs> it's the hardest one to preach on. So I hope I've done it justice. I've presented it maybe not from the angle of the fight, but the character of the man, young man, who went out to fight. Don't, don't ever, I might be being a little strong when I say this, but if you see a young Christian person, and I use... Uh, examples like Nick and Jay Lynn because they are getting ready to graduate school and go out into the world. Don't put them down. If they have big dreams and believe that God has called them to do something, encourage them. Encourage one another. I think when you do that, you will live a more full life, a more blessed life. If you Say, God is the one who's fighting my battles. He's the one who's giving me the victory. And that is the conclusion to my version of David and Goliath. Lord, we just thank you for your word. I, I ask that it would penetrate people's hearts. I ask, Lord, that uh, you would in inspire them to... to uh, be the champion 
for you. Not for Steve, not for the church, but for you. And in doing so, that will inspire the rest of us. I ask that as we go through this week, that uh, you would enable people to have opportunities to rise up and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.